It's so good to be here with everyone this morning. I'm excited to be here. And that's not because I was with my family this past week at a family reunion. It's just because I'm excited to be here with everyone. But it's, 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 it's yeah, a great morning. God's doing good things. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Jonathan Hupp, and I get to be a pastor here with Bluemont. And, man, God is doing such good things. We're going to jump right into the message from, from God's Word today. And we're actually talking today about something that's sometimes a little hard to wrap our minds around, and that's the devil. And that's not really the focus of our talk. Um, we're, we're not, yeah, that's not the focus, but that's kind of a, an aspect of the story we're going to look at today. And this past week, as I mentioned, I was at a family reunion with my parents and immediate uh, two of my sister, my two sisters and their families. And my, at one point, I got a five-year-old daughter. And she was, she was talking to my, my sister who lives in Detroit with her two little boys. And later my sister came over to me and said, hey, you know, we were just talking. And I don't know how this came up, but she said, but Amzie, that's our five-year-old daughter, she said that the devil is dead. And I just want you to know that, you know, her theology is not quite right here, basically. <laughs> she, she thinks the devil's dead, so you might want to bring that up at some point. And... And talked to her about that. And I said, well, yeah, that's, that's not exactly right. You know, the devil was dealt a death blow when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. He defeated the devil, and he is on the way to being destroyed forever. But he's still around. But just thinking about my daughter's uh, understanding of the devil made me just think about how it's often, we, the story we're going to look at today looks at a person who is really tormented by by the devil, or by, by demons, by evil spirits. And oftentimes when we go to that topic in the Western world, it's hard for our minds to, to really understand that. We, in the Western world, we tend to have a place where it's all very rational, and if you can't see it, you're not sure, and maybe you believe in God, but especially when it comes to spirits and evil spirits, like that's just not something we're, we're sure we know what to think about. Uh, there's a quote I want to read, a, famous, a good quote from C.S. Lewis talking about this before we get into our story. And he said this. He said, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, okay, about the devil or evil spirits. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors. And hail a materialist, that's someone who only believes in material things, things you can see or feel. They hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And I think that is very insightful. That they're, part of the spiritual reality we have to deal with is that there is evil, there is a devil, there are evil spirits. Now, that's not something we should obsess about or think about all the time, or it's easy to get, you know, too, too much interested in the occult or dark things like that. But it's just as much an error to disbelieve in it completely because the reality is, is that there is a spiritual world that includes angels and evil spirits. And there, there is a devil. And that affects the world that we, the world that we live in. Um, we're going to look at a story today. Well, before, we go, before I go there, there's... Savannah's flip ahead. I'm throwing things around. But Ephesians chapter 6 talks about our approach to the spiritual, the spiritual world. And it says this in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Paul writes, and he says, Put on the full armor of God, 
so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual world. That is the real battle that we're up against. It's not that person that cut you off on the road or that person you're having an argument with or those sinners out there. No, the real struggle is the spiritual world of evil that is at war with human beings. And in verse 13, we read, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So, we are to be aware of evil, but we're not to be fearful, but we're to take precautions and put on the armor of God that he gives us, which this passage goes on and explains what that armor is. Now today we're going to look at a story. We've been going through some stories in the book of Luke. Our, our summer series is called Jesus Among the People. And we're looking at different encounters that Jesus had with various people. And these encounters tell us a lot about who Jesus is. And also, really, we can relate to ourselves in many of these encounters because there are aspects of what these people are like that are, that are a whole lot like us. And today we're going to talk about the story. I'm calling it The Tormented Guy and the townspeople. This is a story of a guy who was really tormented by the devil, and then all the townspeople around him, and how, they, how Jesus interacted with them, as well as the tormented guy. And so, let's just go ahead and, and jump right to this. In Luke chapter 8, verse 26, it says, They, this is Jesus and his disciples, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And so this is the Lake of Galilee was in the northern part of Israel. Jesus was, uh, grew up in the town of Nazareth, which was on the west side of the lake. And a lot of his early ministry happened in that part, kind of the northern part of, of Israel, west of this lake. But on the, if you sail across the lake, it was an area that was known as the Decapolis. There were ten cities that were uh, not really so much Jewish culture, but they were more Greek culture. And they weren't uh, really followers of the one true God, but they were following other gods, and their, their culture was, was basically like Greek or, or Roman culture. And so this is where Jesus was going in this story. It says in verse 27, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Now this is a confrontation, and if, if you have your bulletin, if you're taking notes, I'm kind of breaking this up into the story into, into four parts. In this first part of the story, basically we're confronted by the demonic. Jesus and his followers come to a place, and they encounter a man who is off the charts, influenced by an evil spirit, or actually many evil spirits. And this is, you know, if you think your life is rough. This is one of those stories in the Bible where you can go, okay, I don't have it so bad. 
Like, man, I, I may have problems, but thank God I'm not this dude. I mean, this is one tormented guy. And I think it's important for us to realize it's often to see like a situation like this, and you kind of dehumanize the person. Whether it's like this, or some homeless person on the street, or someone with mental illness, or different places in our culture where we may see, or the cultures of the world where we see someone who's really under the influence of evil spirits, you kind of just kind of like, oh man, I don't know what to do with that. And you, you dehumanize it. But this is a person. This is a person made in the image of God. But for whatever reason, we don't know how, but he came under the influence. The word, it says demon-possessed. The, the Greek literally is demonized. It's the idea that the evil spirits can have an inroads in a person's life, in their soul. And that can happen through, through sin. That can happen through trauma, where people have really traumatic experiences and their souls are just opened up and the enemy can come in. That can be through family influences. We don't know how this man came to be demonized, but it's obvious that he was in a really, really rough situation. And he has kind of the classic, classic symptoms of, of severe demonic influence. You've got a, a major personality change. He's very violent, uh, antisocial behavior. He's, he's driven away from people and living by himself. There's a spiritual insight. Like he he kind of knows who Jesus is, even though he hadn't met him before. Superhuman strength. He's tormented. And there's a, a tendency towards self-destruction. And these are, these are things that the devil wants to do to people. And Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that the enemy, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, in a case like this, it's, it's very obvious. And we don't know how he got his demons, but we can see the results. We can see that he's going around naked. There's the shame associated with that. There's the violence. There's the, the self-destruction. One of, and and Mark, Mark also writes about this, and he says the guy was living in the tombs and cutting himself continually. And he was violent. People stayed away with him for obvious reasons. They didn't feel real, real safe around him. Um, no relationships. You know, there's no real relationships going on in this guy's life. And no answers. Like, nobody knows what to do. They try to tie him with, with chains and shackles, but the influence of the enemy is so strong in his life that no matter what people do, he just breaks free. The, the, the power of the enemy breaks that off of him. And he's still back to, his, back to his same state. And so here's a case where there's a guy who's completely under the power of the enemy. And no human answer is doing anything to help him. And, you know, this is, I wonder, like, man, why? This is a pretty extreme example. And I think one of the reasons we have this story is because Jesus is going to help this guy. And there's a message in here that, man, no matter how, how bad it is, no matter how tormented we are or how affected someone is by the power of the enemy. If Jesus can help this guy, he can help me. And my, the way I see the effects of the enemy in my life may not be quite as obvious as this. But I, there may be some of those same things. There may be some destructive thoughts. There may be some self-destructive thoughts in my life. There may be some influences and thoughts and emotions and powers operating in my life that war against relationships in my life. It may look not quite as extreme as this. But the enemy may be, and is, very real in our lives in very, very real ways. And it's important, like C.S. Lewis said, we can glamorize the demonic, but we also can ignore it. And that we miss out on the reality that we need to see as well in that. Um, really, in our culture, the strategy of the enemy has, to, has been to go undercover. If you look at, at our culture, we don't see a whole lot. We see it coming out in different places. You see 
you know, certain genres of books or movies or, you know, games that there are people interested in the games of the occult or things that come out in different, different times. There's, there's, there's some that there's an interest that we have, but mostly the devil is just as happy to work in our culture without us realizing what he's doing to us. And there is an enemy, and he is working, but most of the time it's not quite as obvious. I think, but, but if you have discerning eyes, you can see. And I think even this past week, if you look at the, the tragic events that have happened in our country, and the, the shootings that happened, the killings of, by policemen of, of, of innocent people, and, and then the shooting in Dallas that happened. And, just, and I don't know how many of you, probably a lot of us, were engaged in some level in the media and the blogging and social media and people talking about these issues. And really, it's, it was amazing how much uh, frustration and difference of opinion and anger was seething to the surface. And the, you have to realize that there's a lot behind that. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot that's happened that many times we, we sit in our place of, of pride or of hurt and, not, and maybe just thinking that's the way it is and not realizing where other people are at, but something happens and there was definitely a kindling of that fire by the enemy in our culture in this past week. You could just sort of feel the, like, like a mob spirit, sort of like, yeah, let's jump on this thing and like, let's have more division and more anger. And I'm not saying like, there, that God wants to bring peace. God wants to bring reconciliation. God wants to bring people together as one. But there is an enemy working against that. And so in this story, we're confronted by the demonic. And it's important that we realize that there is an enemy. And there is, that we see that and see what God wants to do with that. So we go on in this story in, in, in verse 30. So Jesus encounters this. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied. A legion was, was a Roman regiment of, I think, a thousand soldiers. Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them permission when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Now, the second part of this story, if we break it down, is that Jesus shows up and Jesus exercises authority. Now, isn't this great? Like, here's this guy who's going around naked and violent and destroying everything in his path. Nobody can do anything with him. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and Jesus has a greater authority. And the power of the enemy is removed from this guy's life. The source of his torment is gone. And he is set free. I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, this worst-case scenario... But Jesus shows up, and it's not even this long, drawn-out. Sometimes we have this idea that, oh, there's this battle between light and darkness and good and evil, and God and the devil are like in this boxing match, and you know, it's going to go like 50 rounds, and they're just trading blows back and forth. And, but no, Jesus shows up, 
And it's immediately like the devils are just quivering like, oh, shoot, our time is up. We cannot be around when this guy's on the scene. And they're just like begging, please don't send us into the abyss. I don't exactly know what the abyss is, but obviously it's not a place you want to go. And it's probably the place where God is going to send the devil and his, his demons at the end of history. And they, they know that, and they're like, please, just, just send us somewhere else. Those, those pigs look good, we, but don't send us there. And they're just, that's the kind of authority that Jesus has. And, man, God wants us to know that, that he has all authority. And his victory on the cross was complete. It is ultimate. There is no ounce of power that the devil has that can stand up against Jesus. It's simply a matter of Jesus and his authority coming on the scene. And, man, that is, that is so powerful. They, the devil has to obey the command of God. This man is, is set free. In, in Luke eleven twenty, 20, Jesus said, But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. How do you know when God's kingdom has come? It's when demons are fleeing. When places where the enemy has had inroads in people's lives, when those are being broken off, and people are coming to the freedom that God has for them. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And this, about, this guy is set free immediately. I mean, there's no therapy. There's no medication. There's no long, drawn-out process. Now, there's, I'm not saying there's never a place for those things. There's not a place for those things. But, man, how this is great. Jesus shows up, and his authority shows up, and he brings the victory. And God wants us to know that in our lives and in our culture and in other people's lives, he has the answer. And when he shows up, he brings his victory into, into the world around us. Um, you know, just as a little side note, it's, it's interesting that when Jesus throws the demons into those pigs, that immediately, this is a pig, one in, uh, I think it's Matthew, Matthew and Mark, also t- they also tell the story, and it says there were about 2,000 pigs in this herd. And I think that's right. Sorry, it's a really big number like that. All right, you can double check it. They all immediately run off this hillside, run off this cliff into the lake and drown. And that shows that the intent of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy. And, but you go, wow, it's interesting that pigs, they immediately died. But the man, he, as much as he was being violent and cutting himself and doing all this stuff, he didn't die immediately like that. He didn't commit suicide like that. And it shows there's something that God has put in the human will that the enemy can only go along with our human will allows him to do. And even in a guy as far gone as this, there was still a level of resistance where his, his life was still being preserved. Because the enemy can only, if you look at when, very back to the garden, when the devil only had power when Adam and Eve agreed with him and brought their will in alignment with him. And so anyway, that's just an interesting thing. We don't have, there's, as much as we should be aware of the enemy, God has made people to have government and authority in the world. And, and we, even in someone as far gone as this, there is something that, re, that resists that. Much less when we come under Jesus' authority and we can bring his kingdom into, our, into the world. All right, so Jesus exercises authority. Great story. We keep reading. Everybody's going to celebrate, right? I mean, wow, this guy has been set free. That's not quite what happened. In back in the middle of verse 35, it says, When they came to Jesus, when all the people came, this is the townspeople, they found the man 
from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Think about that. Why do you think they were afraid? I think there are a few reasons here. I think, on the one hand, they probably sensed in their own lives, oh man, there's stuff in me that's not quite right too. And I'm just not comfortable around this Jesus. He dealt with that evil, but what about the stuff in my life? What's he going to do with me? I think it goes on. It says that they, uh, when, they, when they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. That was very, very interesting. You know, why? They, they were overcome with fear. And I think this shows us that the devils inside of that guy, that tormented guy, weren't the only devils around. There are other devils around. There are other powers of evil that were in the, in the area and, in the, and affecting the townspeople as well. And there's also... That they were, they, they were like, oh, man, I don't, I don't know about this. Let's, we're not sure we want this guy around. There was also financial interest, right? Like they just had their whole town's herd of pigs destroyed. And they probably didn't have farmer's insurance to cover that. It's like, oh, shoot, man, we just lost a lot of money. And so really it was like, what is he going to do to our way of life? I mean, this Jesus, he kind of messes things up. We had, you know, we, this was, we had this crazy guy in our town, but we kind of, he was, he, we kind of had it where he lived outside of town, and we, we have our life, and things carry on, and man, if Jesus comes, things, things might change. You know, I think about this, like, they basically valued their money more than they valued that person, and the question I ask is, am I willing to pay money, am I willing to give money to see people's lives set free? Like, what is more valuable to me? Am I willing to, like, risk my sense of provision, my sense of security, my sense of, hey, this is the way things are, this is how my life works, and am I willing to risk that maybe Jesus could upset all that? Maybe he could ask me to give up some of that. Maybe he could direct some of that to a different place than where I'm using it. Oh, man, and that may touch some of the stuff in me. That's not quite as obvious, but it's, it's still stuff. And so we see that not everybody's a fan. And, you know, this is really, it's, it was, as we've been reading through Luke, this is one of the themes that just stands out over and over and over again, is that the people who you'd be, expect to be far from God, like this tormented guy, or the harlot we talked about last week, or the tax collector the week before, the sin, the sinners, People that seem to be far from God, they oftentimes aren't as far from God as you would think. They may be very close to encountering God because Jesus cares about them. And they know their need. They know they got a problem. And Jesus comes in and brings deliverance. But it's the people that don't realize they have a need. They kind of 
feel like they got things together. The townspeople. They're the ones that have a harder... They may seem like they're closer to God, but in reality, they're farther from God. And their whole reaction... And I, that's a question for us to ask ourselves. Is like, man, what am I? Am I more like the tormented guy? Or am I like the townspeople? Or if you're like me and you're a split personality, you're like, I'm, somehow I'm both. I don't know. Like, I'm in a really bad situation. But I can see, like, these, these tendencies at work on both sides. Like, man, it's easy to, to, to not be a fan of what God's doing and to miss out on what he's, on what he's doing. All right, the story goes on. Verse 38. It says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. And this, this dude was excited. He was like, I just got set free. I mean, he's, he can, I can't imagine how excited he was at the miracle and the deliverance that Jesus brought about in his life. And he was like, I want to follow you, Lord. I mean, you see him sitting at Jesus' feet, listening, submitted, surrendered, saying, oh, you're the man. You're sent from God. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to be one of your disciples. Here, let me go. I'll do anything. Let's travel. Let's spread your gospel. Let's, let's be part of your mission. This is great. And Jesus says, I, I like your enthusiasm, but my assignment for you is different. I want you to stay here. And it's funny because this happens a lot. I mean, a lot of times when we come to faith and we start serving God, like we have an idea, like, man, this is how I want to serve God. Like, I, I remember when I came to college, I was going to go to Africa and be a missionary. That was my sense of what God was calling me to do with my life and how I want to serve Him. And it's like, man, the zeal was awesome. But I, later, God kind of directed me. He was like, no, that's not so great. I want you to stay in Kansas. It was like, that was a little bit hard, actually, because Africa sounded a lot more exciting than Kansas. The Middle East sounded a lot more exciting than Kansas. But it was like, no, this is where I want you to be. I've got you here. And like, why did, why did Jesus ask this guy to stay here? Well, we don't know all the reasons, but I, I think there were, there were probably a few. I think part of it is, it was harder. It would have been harder for that guy to stay there. Where everybody knew him, and knew his past, and knew what he had done and what he'd been like. Then to go off where nobody knew him. And he can maybe tell the story, but it's a whole lot different than having to face those people every day. But oftentimes God wants us to stay right where we are at, to face the issues in our life, and to go deep in them. Where it's not just like surface, but like, no, you know, those people knew you were a liar and a cheat. Well, you're going to need to show the transformed life over time. Those people knew that you were, you were greedy and a materialist. Well, I, I want to change you. I want, to, you to, just, I want you to have a work done in you that people around you who know you will be able to see. And you're going to have to like, be in the pain of like, oh my goodness, this is so awkward. Like, they know what I'm like. Can't I just go somewhere else? But no, that will, can drive you to God and to get everything that you need. I think that's a lot. What he, he needed that, and oftentimes we need to stay where we are and to go deep in the process of growing with God and discipleship and letting him transform us from the inside out. But you know what? Not only did he need that, but his townspeople needed him, too. 
Like, we, they, they had problems. They had issues. They were slow to respond to Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what? Despite their slowness, I've got a heart for them. I've got a purpose for them. I've got a plan for them. And you're my man. You're the one. I want to be right in their life, right in their grill, day in and day out, going, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm Joe, the crazy guy. But I'm not anymore. I wear clothes now. God is real. Jesus is the man. And you should do something about that too. Because you got problems too. Those people needed Joe, the crazy guy. The formerly tormented guy. In their life, day in and day out, telling the story of what Jesus had done for him. And over time, that was going to have an effect. And their hearts were going to be warm to God too. And that's the same for us. There is no greater missionary then someone who people know who gets changed and tells their story of what God has done for them, the people who actually know them. And that's really the call that God has for every one of us, is that he wants to meet us, he wants to free us, and then he wants us to tell the good news of what he's done for us, the people around us. And that kind of puts the, the pressure on us a little bit, because it's like, oh man, what will I tell people? What story do I have? What has God done in my life? For some of us, that's obvious. Some of us, it's maybe like, oh man, what has he done? And that is a good question for us to ask. Because maybe that can help lead us to experiencing more of what God wants to do in our lives. But man, he needed to face his past, but they needed needed to see that too. And I was, like I said, this past week with my, my immediate family. And there's one member of my family. There's nothing like, Talk about staying in a place where you'd rather just like go on and live your own life. Well, sometimes your like family of origin can be like that. And I was my family's great. I have an awesome family. Um, I just don't want to live with them every day, my <laughs> my whole life, the family I grew up with. But I, this past week, I was so encouraged because I have one family member who, for literally like fifteen or twenty years, maybe more, since I really started to grow as a disciple in college. We've had this conversation about, man, being a disciple is all about changing. And this family member would say, no, this part of me, that's just my personality. I can't change. And, it's just, and she's talking about stuff that really isn't very good stuff. Obsessive stuff. Compulsive stuff. Stuff that, like, that doesn't help relationships. Stuff that doesn't help grow closer to people and love people. But whenever it would come up, Oftentimes she would say, you know, this is just who I am. This is what I'm like. It's my personality. Just got to deal with it. And I've like so many times said, no, this is not who you were made to be. God's called you to be a disciple. That means a learner. That means someone who's changing. And we've had this conversation over and over again. And, but most, half the time I've just been like, oh, there's no hope for this person. Like, especially as the years have gone on, I've kind of like, you know, I don't know. It's just maybe they'll just grow old and die and that'll be where they're at. But over the, you know, but time to time, like I'd say something, and you know, most, a lot of stuff I say isn't very helpful. Um, <laughs> most of you know that. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I'd say something true. And it's amazing. Then I've realized, recently I realized, so many times when I'd say something true that really was God was like giving me something true to say. The next time I saw this family member, she would say, you know, you said that. And I've been thinking about that. And, yeah, that's, that's kind of true. I mean, she wouldn't say it in those words. And this last week we were together, and I realized, you know, this family member's changing. I can't believe it. But she's actually changing. Like, God is working in her life, and the truth is powerful. 
And speaking the truth to someone, no matter where they're at, no matter how resistant they are, it, ha- it makes a difference. It may not be immediate, but it makes a difference. And you see that in this story that really, why would Jesus have this guy go back? It's because he cared about those people. He wanted them to change too. He had a purpose for them. And he wanted to use the formerly tormented guy to help the townspeople. And they, he had a purpose for those towns, for that town, for that area, for that region, and beyond. It's interesting, as you go through the rest of the Gospels, there were, Jesus made later trips to this area. And actually, it seems that the climate had changed. And it says that crowds came to see him. And they brought their sick to him, and he healed them, and people believed in him. This was the general area where the, Jesus fed 5,000 people and taught the multitudes. That something changed in that area. And, and we don't know how much that had to do with, with this guy. But you have to think he had something to do, and his story had something to do with changing that area. And so, man, that's, that's the awesome thing, that this guy who was tormented became a truth teller and changed this whole area. All right, what about us? What do we do with this? I, I like the stories in the Bible because there are so many different truths and angles that we can apply to our life. Um, but what about me? What does this speak to me? You know, different things may speak to us that, based on where we're at or what God's doing in our life. But I want to ask us three questions. Some of these, one of these may apply to you. Maybe all of them apply to you. First one is this. Is there a place where you need to experience freedom from the enemy? Is there a place in your life where you're under the torment of the enemy? Don't know what degree. There are different degrees. Maybe it's obvious, like like this tormented guy. Maybe it's not so obvious, like the townspeople. But is there an area where the enemy has had the upper hand in your life? And you've been under that power. If there is a place, we can know that God wants to end that. God wants to change that. Jesus wants to bring his authority and his victory into our life. And that may be a matter of you just identifying and saying, devil, I resist you. I push back on that. I'm not going to take it anymore. That may be a one-time thing that's likely an ongoing thing where you've got to keep resisting and saying, no, I'm going to believe what God says and what he has for me instead of that. That may be where, man, today, after we're done, you can talk to someone and ask them to pray for you and get prayer for God to really do a work in your life. Or sometime this week or sometime later, ask someone to pray for you and see God's authority come into your life. Second question is, is there a place where you need to bring Jesus' authority? Is there a, maybe in the life of somebody else, or a situation at work, or whatever it would be, is there a place where, man, the enemy is having his way, but Jesus wants you to bring his authority into that situation? We're going to talk in a couple weeks how Jesus took that same authority he had and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, you go out and do the same things I'm doing. You heal the sick. You cast out evil spirits. You bring my authority into the world. And that's what Jesus says. Every one of us who is a follower of Jesus, who's been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, he has given us his authority to do that in the world around us. Is there a place he wants us to walk that out? Maybe it's in our department. Maybe it's with a certain group of people. Maybe it's an area of injustice. What, What is it that God wants to bring us into? 
And third question is, is there a ministry that you're overlooking right where you're at? Is there a place where Jesus is saying, no, don't go there. Right here. Right under your nose. Right for the place where you spend 40 hours a week. Or whatever it is. Right with this group of people that you spend a lot of time with. Maybe that's the ministry I've given you. And I want you to be in that place and tell what God has done for you. Tell the good things God has done for you. And see what God does. And this is really what God's church is all about. This is what we're about at Bluemont because that's what God's church is all about. And we love to talk about how church is not this hour on Sunday morning. That's, that's an important thing that we do, an important time that we have. But it's as we go out throughout the week, as we're the townspeople, as we're the formerly tormented guy, as we're going about as being, being parents, being students, being employees, being soldiers, whatever we are, as we're saying, you know what? I am experiencing more and more of the freedom from the torment that the enemy used to have in my life. And I got a story to tell. And I'm bringing it to people around me. And seeing God's kingdom spread as we do that. And people, people are waiting and needing that to happen. And I'm so glad that, that God is doing that in our lives. So I want to pray for us and ask God to, to seal what he's doing. Let's, let's pray together. God, it's so good that we don't have to be afraid of the enemy. It's so awesome that you have ultimate authority. That you defeated the devil on the cross. You stuck your foot on his throat. Lord, and it's so good that you are driving him out of people's lives in the world throughout history and today. And God, today I pray for anyone here who'd say, you know what, there's a place where I've been tormented by the enemy. In the name of Jesus, we agree together for freedom. We agree together for full deliverance. We agree together even for a thing that's been a, a habitual battle or struggle. Today, we are trusting you and believing you for your grace to come and help us to get the upper hand. Help us to get to a place of overcoming that enemy. God, thank you that you're doing that. Thank you that your kingdom is advancing. Thank you that you're defeating the enemy. Lord, thank you that we get to be part of that. Lord, you're so good. We love you. Would you lead us in everything you have for us? Lord, we want... we want to be part of, of telling the world of the good things that you have done and are doing in our lives. God, thank you for that. We give you the thanks and the praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, age is going to come up. Um, if there is something in your life, I'll just reiterate what I said earlier. If you want to talk to someone to get prayer for that, encourage you, you can come up front or talk to someone you know. Afterwards today, if you're ready, or, or any other time, people would love to, love to pray with you. All right, go ahead.
Hey, now here's my hour sermon. 